The following podcast contains explicit language. He now lives within himself, which is a dangerous place for him to be. But the reality of it is that he's not a strategic thinker, and he's in a moment now, it's, it's perilous. Who knows, we may get to a point where the question is asked, what did the president know and when did his son-in-law tell her? Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Trumpcast is the show about Igleslum, Miglemork, Right. It's the show about the howling madness that is our president, Donald Trump. The one who recently tweeted a nice, normal statement of fact. Despite the constant negative press, Covfefe. That's Covfefe, C-O-V-F-E-F-E slash Trumpcast. No, Covfefe. The mind reels, but the mind also moves manfully to make meaning of Covfefe. And so Covfefe was parsed last night within an inch of its weird little life. My favorite interpretation came today from Wolfram Alpha, the computational knowledge engine. What Wolfram Alpha said is that Covfefe, mathematically speaking, is odd. You input Covfefe, and the result is E squared C F squared O V. Now, a geometric figure you might derive from this as a line, and the roots, of course, are C equals zero, F equals zero, O equals zero, and V equals zero. And the polynomial discriminant here is delta equals zero. Somehow, this makes more sense to me than the original Kofefe. Today, to talk about madness and things without rhyme or reason, we have the biggest get of Trumpcast yet. Jared. That's Jared, who's reclaiming the name from everyone's favorite son-in-law backchanneler. He's Jared Yates Sexton, an American author and political commentator from Linton, Indiana, who's a professor of writing and linguistics at Georgia Southern University. He's also the author of the amazing forthcoming, The People Are Going to Rise Like the Waters Upon Your Shore, A Story of American Rage. We're going to talk about the gibberish of Sean Spicer, the specter of an America gone mad, and the uses of Covfefe. But before we get to all the commentary and punditry, we want to bring things down a little bit to a more tender, sweeter moment with Jared. Welcome to Back Channel FM, the place to share dedications you'd rather not have the national security apparatus listen in on. I'm Denila. Tonight's Back Channel dedication comes from Jared in New York City and goes out to his friend Sergey. He writes, Denila, I have a dedication for a friend, and I think it's probably best that we back-channel this and keep it out of the hands of the fake news and the Obama-loving deep state. I know my friend Sergey is very worried about some sanctions that have been placed on our friendship. I want him to understand very clearly that if he keeps the compromise he has on my father-in-law to himself, he can count on those sanctions going away. I want him to know that his friendship is appreciated more than he can imagine, and that any time he wants to talk about anything, I'll be right here waiting for him on Back Channel FM. Well, Jared, I'm going to send out your dedication to Sergey, and I hope that you know anything you say here on Back Channel FM is totally private. Sergey, I hope you're listening. 
This is Richard Marks and Right Here Waiting. Oceans apart, day after day. Backchannel FM was written by Steve Waltin and Kate James and performed by Kate James. Special thanks to Jared in New York City. Hey, Trumpcast listeners, we're going to get started with today's show in just a second. But first, here's our official Covfefe pronunciation guide. Hey, Donald, how in the world do you pronounce your new word? Hello, Virginia. So it's very easy. It's confefe. So wait, is it Covfefe? Confefe. Confefe. Convertible. A hundred percent. Okay, let's jump into today's show. My guest today is Jared Yates Sexton. He's a professor at Georgia Southern University who's written extensively about American rage and specifically about the madness of crowds at Trump's rallies. Jared, Jared. I mean, how much of a big get is it to have Jared on Trumpcast? Jared Yates Sexton, welcome to Trumpcast. Hey, good morning. Um, so I, I know that we've got bigger fish to fry, but it is worth talking, I think, about Donald Trump's uh, typo or possibly brain dissolution in his recent tweet. Despite the constant negative press. I just want to sit with it. It's C-O-V-F-E-F-E. And how do you think we should pronounce it? We might be the first people to throw down the definitive pronunciation. I like I like this going on my Wikipedia entry. Okay, so for me, I love the fefe. I, I love the fefe at the end. So I go with kafefe, which actually I found works as a really nice mantra if you try it for a while. Well, you know, it's, I mean, the of course people have pointed out that there are legitimate dangers to civilization happening elsewhere in the world you know, at the hands of Smaug during the desolation of Smaug. But it is still worth paying attention to Kofefe because it almost seems to crystallize the complete inversion of any sense or reason that's happening now. On Trumpcast, we try to make sense of Trump a lot. I think we should surrender to the gibberish and figure out, you know, and, and sort of attend to the illogic and the inversion of everything that's good and right in the world, just is everything lost? And that's my question for you. That's a hell of a question. Um, (laughs) I would say, you know, I spent a lot of time with this uh, Kufefe situation last night, and I looked at it for so long. Um, I've mentioned to you, it was like unfocusing your eyes on a, a 3D poster that you might see in a mall somewhere. And I started thinking a lot about this idea of like a postmodern society where everything has meaning, but everything has no meaning and it works both ways. And one of the things I found incredibly interesting last night was how everyone tried to make sense of this nonsensical word. It was obviously just this thing that the president of the United States fired off without any sort of concern or worry. And suddenly everybody was laughing about it, memeing it, all of these things. But then other people were worried that it was somehow or another a sign of of him having had a stroke. While other people, I don't know if you saw this, 
a lot of other people thought that it was a code word, that it opened up his army of bots. And for some reason or another, this was their, uh, this was their red alert. It's time to crash. And I thought it was fantastic and terrifying to watch this sort of like instant thinking over that our culture does and tries to imbue meaning and steal meaning from this person who probably fired off this tweet in like seconds without much thought to it. I mean, I think that's absolutely right. And I, it's possible he didn't even fire it off, right? I mean, I have definitely been guilty of pressing a send on something before it's done. But anyway, the thing is, here I am trying to make sense of it and even even identify with it, just as you said. I mean, I have trouble even reading this word because I want to read it as confet for some reason because mm-hmm. I, I want to see con like con air and I want to see fet like a party and every part of the word doesn't make sense and I do think that our brains are possibly not able to register this much unreason and then there um, I, I wrote on Twitter there are five of, of cafeta, cafeta. I can't even wrap my head around <laughs> it when we're actually talking about it out loud um, there are five stages of it, and at first there's like this amusement, and then all of a sudden there's a fascination. But I don't know about you, but I had this moment of sheer terror last night because not only was it the leader of the supposed free world tweeting this, but then there are supposed to be these controls that stop him from doing these things and at least clean it up after he did it. And it stayed up for, I, I think, hours. I, I ended up going to sleep. And there were supposed to be people on the watch to keep this president, who is obviously incompetent, from being dangerously incompetent. And for me, it was one of those moments where you read about in, like, U.S. nuclear history where, like, there are these safety moments, right, where things almost go off and a missile almost goes off. If there's somebody at the at the switchboard who stops it. And this is one of those moments, I think, that that points out, like, how fragile of a, of a society we're actually in. And I was I was actually terrified by it by the time I went to bed. I really, really uh, like and I'm glad we're taking this seriously. I really like the the five stages that you put up of Kofefe. You know, I know it was a bit of a joke, but you it gets very powerful. The five stages of Kofef, Kofefe, you said on Twitter, are amusement, bewilderment, enchantment, and then two straight stages of anxious dread. I mean, this is a little bit the reaction over the past even 30 years to Donald Trump. I think that's exactly right. Um, and, you know, it's, it's one of those moments where I, I'm not sure if you've had it, but there have been days and obviously you get wrapped up in your daily life and, you know, like there are just moments of sheer terror when you realize that Donald Trump is the president of the United States. Um, I, I, I talk to people about this all the time. I, you know, I have to drive up to Atlanta and back up to Indiana and all around the country. And there are these moments when you're driving, when you kind of forget that you're driving, where you've kind of become mesmerized by the road. Yeah. And then suddenly you realize that you're going 88 miles an hour and there are all of these like death machines around you. And you suddenly have this moment of terror where you're like, oh my God, this is real life. Yes. I have those moments all the time with this presidency where I'll be making dinner and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be sauteing some things. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, like not only is the president of the United States Donald Trump, but there might be this giant conspiracy that he's, in, he's involved in. And, and it's just this moment of like white hot terror. You know, the thing that comes to mind is this, this, you know, this idea that we slip into treason and possibly anarchy without knowing it. It's sort of one step at a time. And 
you know, along the way, you make arguments, and we've done it on this show, for why this isn't quite treason or why this isn't quite anarchy. And, you know, I notice in your work, you've actually highlighted sort of the opposite, which is let's not fail to notice that Sean Spicer yesterday gave a completely nonsensical press conference that not only didn't put to rest the pressing questions that the electorate and the press have for this administration, but entangled them, deconstructed them, wrecked them, and left all our hopes in, you know, in a new kind of Kofefe shambles. You know, I've gotten to the point and, and I've watched almost every single one of these press conferences now, minute by minute. And they, and again, you want to talk about postmodernism, they have ceased to have any meaning or usefulness whatsoever. There's nothing to them. There is one answer after another that, that backs onto one another, that cannibalizes another. Um, you know, in one moment, he'll seemingly admit that the president has a secret taping system, and then the next will say that he doesn't. And it, it just it leads people through all these holes. I've gotten to the point where I just, and again, it's like driving a car for hours, I just become sort of hypnotized by them to the point where I, I don't get any meaning out of them. It's like going through a bag of chips and not realizing what happened. You know, there is some worry that either one way or the other, by getting accustomed to the nonsense or by burning up our brains trying to make sense of it, trying to fit it into a pattern of Watergate or, you know, even the rise of fascism, just trying to make historical sense of it, that we're burning ourselves out and we'll possibly be unable to mount, you know, a real challenge in the 2018 elections. You know, it's all coming so fast and furious, but this John Forte hey, that sounds a little like Cove Fefe. <laughs> anyway, this John John Forte, um, God, it's not even a scandal, assault case on the eve of the election in Montana, and then followed by his victory over his opponent is yet another example that that insanity has taken hold at all levels. And, you know, are we just wasting time on Twitter trying to figure out how the white poor are feeling or you know, why there was anger in Wisconsin and why this all makes sense according to, you know, economic insecurity in the heartland. I don't know. You've parsed some of this stuff. Well, you know, I I became familiar with this concept um, between 2015 and 2016 when I was going to all of these Donald Trump rallies. And, you know, every couple of days I would go to a Trump rally and I would go into the crowds and I would hear all of this terribly racist, misogynistic, homophobic, uh, rhetoric. And I'd see all these awful things in these moments of like near violence and cruelty. And after a while, I, I would talk to people and they'd say, you know, aren't you shocked at, shocked by it anymore? And the truth was, I'd gone to enough of these things and been around it enough that I had just sort of become used to it. Mm. I had just sort of, um, I had to sort of train myself to still be outraged by it, to still be horrified by it. And so when he actually won, which was, of course, a surprise to most everybody. I, I started hearing people say, let's not let this be normalized. But I actually think normalize is is a little bit of a, a, a an understatement here, hmm. because what has actually happened is I think that we've seen our reality sort of bend around Donald Trump, I think, who has become so immovable in his worldview that he's actually forced everyone around him into sort of like a reality bending. And I think this administration has sort of um, 
sort of made us malleable in that way. And it's, it's exhausting. And I'm very afraid of it, especially when you look at what's happened in Russia around Vladimir Putin. This was a political strategy in Russia, which was to sort of exhaust the population to the point of compliance. And to watch it happen possibly in America is like one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen. You know, Emmanuel Macron handled Trump with this um, much more sly sort of acceptance of his madness. And I don't know, I don't know whether that struck you. Because you and I are clearly Americans using an American idiom to think about Trump and trying to confront him with rule or imagining at least and and agitating for the confrontation with rule of law and with truth and with facts and with the media. But then you have Macron come up and just do this simian kind of thing, you know, like alpha male kind of thing of like the fierce handshake and the walk around. And, you know, I think I think American leaders would think of that as... um adolescent but i liked well, and it then you, and well and then you look at merkel's reaction over the past few days yes. right merkel says out loud that we cannot trust our our allies anymore with you know with an eye obviously um directed toward america i think that these are moments where um merkel for instance really struck me because it was hmm. it was this moment where i think we we have this president that we don't really know how to deal with and we don't really know how we got here and we're still trying to like clean out that clutter to figure out what the causes were. And meanwhile, I think we keep looking at each other, particularly in the media and even in culture, we keep looking at each other and saying, you know, is this something we should be afraid of? Because it feels like something we should be afraid of. And we've been taught to trust the system, you know, from the times that we were young, we were taught that this is a system that works and it weeds out these problems. And now we look at it and we think maybe this is a broken system. Maybe this is uh, a person who should not be there, who is dangerous in the office. And then you have someone like Merkel who says out loud, you know, this is a problem. And I think it's one of those moments where like we have a lot of self-doubt. And I think that we want to believe in our system so much that we keep looking for people to say out loud, this is a problem so we can feel comfortable in our concern. I think that's part of the reason that Macron is, is, represents some small ray of hope, because he defeated soundly the forces of at least the far right, if not madness in France in the person of Marine Le Pen. So he seems like, you know, he he looks like a victory for reason. And we want that so much here. I think that's right. And and I think that we there are these small victories, uh, for instance, like I, I have talked to a lot of people who have sort of um, made their anger and, and disappointment with Trump sort of lessened it by telling themselves this is the last breath of something and, mm. and that, you know, we, we looked in France and this happened and we still have Merkel and we still have these checks and these balances and look how journalism is taking on Trump and keeping him, um, you know, to task. I, I'm still worried about the things underneath it because I think Trump is just the surface level of something. I mean, we've seen all across the globe, we've seen these far right organizations that have been gaining power. The fact that Le Pen even got as many votes as she did, to me, is terrifying. Mm. The fact that the Montana special election went the way it did, that feels to me like a, a canary in the cold mine. Mm. Um, I feel like this is another one of those instances where we have a single focus culture, which is that we all decide 
outside. This is where we're staring. And everything in our periphery can sort of, you know, go blurry. And one of those things that, that happens with Trump is I think that he is a multifaceted problem. And I think that by staring on any facet of the problem for too long means that he can sort of like slide around or get around. And I think that's one of his main attributes is that this is a person who has no shame and is more than willing to sort of find whatever surface or whatever crack he can to get through. And I think that the entire movement that he represents is just like that, which is one of the more worrisome things is the idea that we might have to marshal some sort of multifaceted answer to this problem. And, and that that's very difficult, obviously. Like the way that in, intractable or recalcitrant madness needs to be treated with medication, straight jackets, some therapy, you know, a little bit of love and kindness and, uh, and possible leg restraints and paper slippers. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the problem too, right? Is it, what we've actually learned as a society as time passes is that problems are a lot more nuanced than we think they are. Like it always occurs that later on we look back and we're like, there's obviously this, this, and this. And, you know, you look at how crime is treated. It's not just about locking people up. It's about poverty. It's about societal bonds. It's about law enforcement. It's all these different things. And the more that we've narrowed our focus, I think, as a society, I think the more that we sort of lose that nuance. I, I mean, this is really fascinating and, and consistent with what you said earlier about that that sort of narrative fever that we have to tell a story. We have to tell a, st- a single story, you know, that our nation was hijacked by the asset of a foreign pa- hostile foreign power or that we elected a child or that there was working class rage that needed to get a racist in office. And, you know, what you're suggesting is that we need a narrative big enough to encompass that it was or or, or a covfefe word that suggests how that it was something that it's something bigger that contains all those things. Well, and and look at it this way. I mean, one of the things that definitely got Trump elected was the focus of the right wing media, right? They've boiled down all of these narratives to such a a fine concentrated form that is actually like done nothing but appeal to like the reptilian brain and sort of affect people in these terrible ways. The more that we move towards that, the more that we move towards this catch-all um, answer, the more that we're losing sight of all these other things. And, and I think that that is the danger because, I mean, at its heart, the Trump presidency is nothing more than the right-wing media put into action. And, and I think that when we look at that, that uh, dilution, I think that that's a, a really problematic aspect of this. Thank you so much for being here. And I will keep reading. You are well worth following on Twitter. Um, tell, give us your Twitter handle and uh, point us to that book of yours. Sure. Um, I'm on Twitter at JY Sexton. And the book, which is coming out from Counterpoint in September, is called uh, The People Are Going to Rise Like Waters Upon Your Shore, A Story of American Rage. Thank you very, very much for being here, Jared. Thank you, Virginia. And that's our show for today. Hey, are you following Trumpcast on Twitter? I mean, if you're following real Donald Trump after last night, you have to be following real Trumpcast. Find us there to keep up with all the latest from the Trumpcast team. Again, we're at Real Trumpcast. And we promise to stay until this is over. Trumpcast is produced by Jason DeLeon. And thanks, as always, to John D. Domenico, our voice of Donald Trump. I'm Virginia Heffernan. We'll be back with more Trumpcast throughout the week. 
Kav Fefe. Kav Fefe. Kav Fe. Cafe. The N is silent. Cove, the Fifi is silent. Fifi, the Cove is silent. Cove, fe, fe. Cove, fe, fe. Cove, foo, foo. Croquet.